Welcome to part five of Seeing Sound, the podcast where Playtronica and Lost and Sound team up and take you on a journey between what we hear and what we see. Presented by me, Paul Hanford. Can you hear that quiet? You can hear a bit of wind, some birds, the odd siren in the background. You wouldn't believe that I'm stood right on the runway of what was once the world's busiest airport. Now it's the world's largest inner city open space. I'm where we left off last time. I'm in Tempelhofer Feld in Berlin. It was built as an airport in 1927, went through some of the most chaotic times in history before finally closing in 2008. Now you're more likely to see someone on rollerblades than you are a plane here. But for today, just for today's sake, let's just imagine that it's still an airport and the planes are bringing you stories of people who want to talk to you about places, some real places, some imaginary, some might have existed, don't really know, and some that you can only hear through sound. And to begin, we're going to go back to the late 70s, where a young boy is hearing American music for the first time. I was born in the Soviet Union, mm. and uh, my parents, as kind of you know, dissenters who would later go on to, to immigrate to the West, they were very interested in, in Western uh, American, most of all, mostly uh, music. So they, they liked rock and roll, they liked jazz. It was very, it was not impossible, but very difficult to get a hold of uh, in, the, in the Soviet Union. So you had to know people who knew people who could, you know, make cassette copies of things and stuff. Of course, I mean, my, my parents had to kind of, and their friends and fellow kind of uh, uh, dissenters kind of had to, you know, piece together what they could from, from, from the information that they could, they, they could get and kind of basically also interpret the, the official propaganda that they were getting in order to kind of, basically, if, 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 the, if Pravda says uh, X, Y, and Z, then, then A, B, and C must be true. There was a lot of kind of reverse engineering. I, I mean, my parents were then shocked when they got to the, got to the West and it turned out that a lot of what Prabhupada was saying was actually true. <laughs> The big punchline. The big punchline, yeah, it was, it was actually not all, not so great. I mean, some things were great and other things were not. The voice you just heard is multi-instrumentalist Andrew Peckler. And this piecing together of sounds and ideas from a place where little is known about would manifest in a different way 40 years later. Because we're here to talk about the music he composed for Phantom Islands, an online interactive map developed with cultural anthropologist Stephanie Kiwi Menraf. Phantom Islands themselves are real things, or maybe they're not, uh, but anyway, they were islands that appeared on tropical maps but never actually existed. Or maybe they did, but I don't know, maybe they didn't. I don't know, but to, to clear that up, I thought I'd ask Andrew about it. How did from your research and from getting to know about phantom items, how did they actually come about? What were the origins of them? So the, the earliest uh, instances of, of this phenomenon that I know go back to the ancient Greeks, to uh, the early geographies that uh, um, Ptolemaeus and others who followed uh, him um, put together. Their the ambition was to have a, a geography of the known entire known world uh, at the time. But of course, they're, they're, they're Geographical knowledge, although surprisingly uh, far-ranging for the time, 
was not, uh, of course, not perfect. And so there's a few things at the borders of the known world that are um, conjecture. For instance, the island of uh, Taprobana, which uh, may or not be uh, Ceylon or Sri Lanka, uh, perhaps even uh, could perhaps be Java, but there was anyway, there was nothing, there was some knowledge of an island of a large uh, landmass off the southeast coast of, of, uh, of India. But where, where exactly it was, its, it's, it's, uh, its exact location and its, its size and, and uh, uh, was, was kind of conjecture. Nonetheless, uh, Ptolemy, uh, Ptolemaeus, as he was known in Europe, in the, in, in the Renaissance, uh, um, had uh, this island in his, uh, I forget what the name was, but it was a geography of the world. A cosmographica, as, as it were, at the time. And this, uh, these ancient Greek geographies during the Renaissance were, were then, um, as, as, as much of the um, knowledge of the ancient world, of the classical Greek and Roman world was being rediscovered in Europe, these, these bits of information were kind of taken, uh, uh, taken on without question, partially. So you have these reproductions in uh, 16th and 17th century European geographies that uh, basically just copy what what the ancient Greeks wrote, and so this kind of this uh, this half knowledge or this uh, this kind of uh, information based on conjecture that kind of, kind of accumulated uh, over over centuries it gets kind of passed on. How did you approach looking at these different islands from a musical perspective? It kind of very naturally fit into what I was already had been doing for, for a few years. I was very interested in, in, in I don't know, the last 10 years or so in, my, in, my, in, in the way that I've made music, uh, made to approach music as this a kind of a blurring of the lines between uh, synthetic and organic, not only in the, not only in the uh, materials that I use or the instruments that I use or the sound sources, but also in the way, uh, hopefully, that uh, a listener uh, apprehends what I make them so that I kind of challenged or I came didn't challenge myself but I came to working found it gratifying to work with uh you know synthesizers and synthetic means to produce things that sound like it could come from nature so to mm. basically reproduce field recordings or the sound of you know birds insects waves uh, specific places by just by synth synthetic means and con conversely uh I was also interested in taking actual recordings from nature, field recordings, mm. and processing them in such ways that they could sound as th synthetic as possible, that they became, you know, basically synthesizer chords and mm. uh, these kind of textures that have very uh, unnatural sounding uh, overtone structures and so on. So basically I was kind of trying to take these opposites and um, make them their opposites again. Yeah. I love the way that kind of uh, comes across in the music as well. It's, it's, it's a very, you can kind of feel that there's a kind of combination of sort of psychoacoustic sounding, naturally sourced sounds, and you can tell that there's synthetic sounds, but you can't actually tell what the origins are of what you're listening yeah. to on that, which is yeah. quite nice. That, yeah, that, that's exactly my goal. That's this, this kind of, um, uh, the effect I'm, that I was after is the effect that I, I have as a listener myself when I'm mm. listening to particular music where I can't quite separate uh, the different elements from one another and I can't tell what's, what's, what's doing what and what is kind of, yeah, what is naturally occurring and what is, uh, what is the result of some kind of manipulation. 
And it kind of feels that that kind of connects with the idea of phantom islands as well, isn't that there's, there's an element of sort of reality to the islands and there's an element of kind of like myth or in some cases fabrication to the islands. Yeah, I mean, the best case is when something you know is not real sounds nonetheless so plausible that you can't f- help but feel that it's, that it's real. That's, that, mm-hmm. that kind of dream state. Uh, when you're, you know, when you're just in a dream and you realize you're in a dream, yet nonetheless, it, you know, the, whatever the, the the emotions you're experiencing or the uh, the sensations you're experiencing feel as real as any as any any uh, anything you experience in waking state. That's and sometimes you want that more than the uh, waking state that you're going into as well. Oh, always. Yeah. I don't want the waking state. <laughs> <laughs> How much did you approach each island as as in a almost like a kind of a scientific way and how much did you draw on your imagination with the sounds a little bit of both um there's a there's a there's a third layer to that as well in that um with with the the fact that initially all this material was composed for 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 a map for an online map Mm. it was around what i wanted to have like any good ethnographer was to have be able to show kind of the the relations between uh, neighboring or nearby entities, let's say. You know, there's some islands that are clustered quite close together and there are others that are, you know, further away and there's others that are, you know, on, on, a, on the uh, opposite side of the planet. The, the effect that I wanted to have is that uh, as you kind of cruise around and move from one island to the next, that you hear maybe, or, or at least imagine you hear, or what I wanted to suggest is that there's some kind of maybe distant affinity, distant uh, family relation between the, the sounds from one island and its, neighbor, and its, and its neighboring island and mm. the next island to it. And the further away you move from your, your starting point, the more different what you hear becomes. That was, that was one consideration. So I kind of basically started in one place uh, and tried to make something, you know, uh, for the next for the next place, something similar or that contained or used uh, similar or the same elements, but maybe in a slightly different way, and tried to to be, you know for the as I, as I went further and further away for the sound to become more more uh, heterogeneous. Right, so where I'm walking right now is pretty much an island surrounded by runway. And it's been allowed to grow into a nature reserve. So I'm being very careful where I walk. It's really beautiful. There's loads of butterflies, lots of really long, tall reeds. There's a bit of a plain abandoned between trees that's kind of just left there and kind of preserved. Very much a Berlin kind of thing to do, to have objects from from previous times just left in places to to for whatever reason if this was one of andrew's islands i don't know what it'd be called it's 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 surrounded by a sea that is actually a runway with fish that are actually people on rollerblades and bikes i started thinking after speaking with andrew what if sound could actually create the environment you're in what if there was a sound system that could do this? Well, actually, there might be. Should we go and check it out? 
The Spatial Sound Institute is a research and development centre in Budapest. The facility is centred around a large-scale 4D sound studio. I'd heard stuff about what this studio is doing, stories of people having revelatory experiences, feeling that inside, sound, like the name 4D suggests, takes on a whole new dimension. I wanted to find out if this is a place where it's possible to see sound. I was intrigued, and so is Alifia Imani, a person for who listening to her surroundings has played more and more a role in her life. Well, let's say that I've been very nomadic for the past couple of years. I am originally from Pakistan, um, from the city of Karachi, and I moved to Europe in 2017. Since I've been moving a lot um, and have been nomadic for a while and how I kind of now understand each place that I've lived in or associated with sounds, I would not think about it before. But right now I'm, I'm in Budapest and I'm just realizing that I'm just always surrounded by the sound of seagulls in Copenhagen and it gives me this sense of living on an island and in contrast to Budapest, where I'm also now living in the city, it's the sounds here are so complex in a way. In Denmark, it, it sounds a bit without layers, <laughs> if that makes sense. And over here, it's like you can almost sense many different layers, like the history of the place itself. Alifia Amani is an interdisciplinary arts practitioner and writer, and one day, being enraptured by the immersive experience of catching a Niels Fram concert, Alifia began a journey of sonic discovery that led her to getting involved in the Spatial Sound Institute in Budapest, where she now documents and researches for them. I wanted to know a little bit about the Institute. So the Institute is located in, in like this complex of buildings that is called Art Quarter Budapest. And um, it's really not in the city. So it's on the Buddha side and um, just the experience of this place and living there with the people I was also working with. So a lot of the people who, who work with the Institute are also living at the Institute. So it's it's a very different experience Um like sharing meals or sharing your experiences. And um, I mean, of course, this the Institute has the 4D sound system. It houses the 4D sound system, which is like more simply, it's like this integrated software and hardware system that allows you to work with um, dimensional objects in space. It's like, or the studio is acoustically designed in a way for immersive and subtle listening. Like it imitates already the, the environment, the natural environment, like how we would listen, which is like sound that is coming from everywhere. It, it's a very, like, yeah, it's a very interesting experience. Sound is very alive and it's almost uh, like a physical presence in the room. Mm -hmm. So you cannot like really locate it through speakers. It's actually like an entity in, in and on, of itself. It was interesting because I could sense that everyone was coming there for some sort of change, um, either changing something about themselves or something about the environment or interpreting 
you know, time or space and reality. So there were all these different perspectives from different um, backgrounds. Um, sometimes it can be very deceptive also. Uh, I mean, the the energy of the space itself or how are we really listening? Um, or is it really about the music or what is it really about, you know? So I think all of all of the people I, I, I was interacting with we're already thinking about this on some level. And I mean, really, the work is about listening and how we listen. And um, when we pay attention to that, then we pay attention to ourselves and to our environment in a way. Like, I would say that it is a community um, of people and um, they are trying to understand the world. And uh, but, you know, from this point of view of listening, when which is kind of also very primal to us in a way but we are so visualized in in a sense um and and our culture is so visualized i would look at this at the work of the institute as a way to sort of train our ears in the way that they they were always listening you know um but we've forgotten that (laughs) so there's that kind of like a, a kind of a catharsis that you feel that people have gone through Catharsis, yes, in many ways. Like uh, there was one artist who was there specifically and he wanted to kind of create a piece that was um, more of an introspection on people who'd been through some sort of trauma. And this was also because he personally experienced it himself. Mm -hmm. And then there was one essay um, or one project that I was very much involved in was... um, an artist who was interested in underwater acoustics and from from the point of view of orcas. So she was more activist oriented in a way and she was wanted to kind of bring this contrast of how sound is so important to so many other species and we kind of don't even know about this reality. So she she was working for a very long period of time to um, get uh, these recordings of orcas in their free environment and then sort of scientifically more on a more scientific construction of what it is like when they are captive and put in tanks for, you know, entertainment purposes so yeah for me that also really opened the door like I had not really thought about this ever like sounds that you actually cannot like the human range it's not possible for us to she transposed that range but still um, it was a very jarring experience I love how Olivia talks about the energy in the space between the community of people there. It kind of reminds me of one of those films where a bunch of scientists are all living together, working on some mind-blowing new vision. And this just intrigued me more. I kind of felt a bit left out, her talking about the experiences, and I wanted to experience it for myself. Um, but where, where, where could I do this? Ah, so... You're probably thinking, where am I? I'm, I'm in a rainforest, but actually I'm not. Although it sounds totally like I can hear birds, I can hear water, I can hear like this thick forest denseness. 
sounds coming from me all around. I'm actually in an industrial complex deep in East Berlin. That's right. I just hopped on my bike along Zonnenallee and then through Kopernik and then into a large space where tall, thin speakers are placed around the room and jut towards the ceiling like metallic trees. This is Monon, formed in partnership with 4D Sound and the Spatial Sound Institute, and my guide here works here. His name is Tillman Jex. We are operating with a spatial sound format, which is essentially enabling you to listen to sound in three-dimensional space. The speakers are placed around you in a way where you can move around the speakers. Mm. So if you imagine yourself standing in a forest now, and in front of you is a little tree with a couple of birds sitting inside it you can walk physically around that speaker and you can essentially walk around that bush. There's no sweet spot. It's, a, it's an open audio environment for you to walk around and explore. Now that the technological capabilities have caught up to the way that we hear sound naturally in space and in real life, we can start to play with that. So we can introduce you to a forest scene, for example, but then that forest scene melts and morphs like it might in a dream music comes in from the trees you know the clouds open up and the sun comes down with a nice vocal and you can sort of take you then on a sort of musical journey that's not too dissimilar to how a dream might function and how everything's homogenous in the same space that was a that was uh like a fly on the recording right that is so weird i'm sure i heard like a kind of like a wasp or a fly at the end right Okay, because it sounded so real. Like yeah, I was just yeah. like, you know, like literally, my, my thing was to go like this, you know, to yeah, swat right. it. <laughs> well, yeah, okay, so. I should point out that what you're hearing is, unfortunately, due to the current capacity of how we can hear things when we're listening to podcasts and MP3s, a stereo mix of what in monom is all around sound the experience left me pretty awed out and for the last word i zoomed over to have a chat with a former classically trained percussionist turned creative director of monom william russell we do residencies and performances that are exploring what i'm sort of calling now the spatial arts so we're exploring the possibilities of spatial sound uh, as a medium for expression and so this is something that i think is really crucial for our studios that it's not about creating an immersive experience it's about creating a tool for uh, expressing things within with a different dimension with an added dimension and so you know we we invite artists to come and we support them to yeah add another dimension to their art form you know whether that's music sound dance, theatre, opera, whatever it is, you know, I think sound is this medium in which can link all of these sorts of disciplines. And we, we use, we're using a very interesting instrument at the space, which is a, both a sound system and an instrument. So it's really, um, you know, it allows artists to create very realistic environments sonically that can then connect to 
the physical world uh, in real time, you know. So we're trying to sort of essentially almost create a holodeck, <laughs> you know. So mm. it's like that's the that's in my mind that's sort of the the that would be the the final goal of 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 this would to be able to create a tool in which you can essentially create any environment and tell any story and and be able to communicate that story uh, in the most powerful way possible. Yeah, I, on, during the tour, there was a moment where um, at the there was a, the end of a piece of music. There was a fly or a wasp, uh-huh. and yeah. I I really, really, really just I sort of kind of instinctively kind of <laughs> swatted it, and I had to yeah. ask I had to ask Tillman, the guy giving me the tour, whether there was really a wasp on the recording, mm. whether it was in the room. I, I <laughs> yeah, could not yeah. differentiate between it whatsoever. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> What what is it about you that really kind of attracts you to to seeing the potential with spatial sound? Well, you know, my, I I believe that you know our whole existence has has evolved from this perception of the world around us, which is inherently spatial. So since we're an amoeba, you know, trying to figure out what the threat or the enticement was, you know, in the environment, and then from there grew into the the amazing being sensory spatial beings that we are now for me this is you know the essence of what expression is because for me emotions have been built from our um from space you know from us our relationship to space so for me you know art the purpose is to connect to your emotions as much as it is anything else you know i think i kind of judge the quality of an artistic experience by how deeply I connect to it emotionally at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, um, which I think is really also related directly to physicality, you know, Um, and that physicality is an interaction with space. So I really think that the idea of spatial arts is exploring all of those ways in which we interact with the world and then trying to harness that as a tool for expression because it's the most direct relationship between the the artwork and and the body and the emotions and the mind and it's sort of like in a way it's kind of taking the idea of an art form in a in a without wanting to make a pun a much broader canvas uh where where say like a a a painting invites an interpretation with Mm -hmm. with i guess with spatial art you're actually invited in you know exactly no no absolutely yeah i think it's it's really instantaneously um, captivating because it's it's just so it's so physical, you know, and it's so you know. I remember the first time that I put on a VR headset, you know, ye- like eight years ago or something like mm. this when it was first happening. But still, all it was was a roller coaster ride, you know. And I and I and, and I went, I was put it on, and I went up, and then I dropped. It had the big drop, and my stomach lifted, you know, and I <laughs> felt like I was gonna I was gonna vomit, and I. Mm that was a moment for me where I was like, wow, like this is a scarily powerful tool. And I think that, um, you know, all of these sort of technologies can be used for manipulation um, in a negative sense or manipulation in a positive sense. And I think that, you know, what we are trying to do is to allow artists to use it as a tool to express their ideas and, 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 and believe that that's a positive thing. So in some sense or other today, we've traveled from Soviet Russia in the 70s 
taken in phantom islands that may or may not have existed in some form or other in the history of the planet Earth to worlds and places that only exist within sound. We looked at how sound can build worlds, either imagined or through spatial design. But more than that, as Alithia mentioned with the example of the orca whales, maybe we're at the point where sound can create environments that help us get a better understanding, that make us see the world that we're in in a clearer way, with more empathy, with with a greater, deeper understanding than we've ever had before. So we've reached the end, for now anyway, of our journey, sharing encounters into what we see and what we hear. Seeing Sound is a Lost and Sound production for Playtronica, written and produced by me, Paul Hanford. Music by Olga Maximova. And thanks in this episode to Andrew Peckler, Alifia Imani, Tillman Jex and William Russell. And a big thanks throughout this series to Sasha Paz, Aglaya Demidenko, Izaro Bo, John Thorpe and Kieran Yates. If you enjoyed listening to this series, please rate the show and do leave a comment on iTunes or wherever you listen to this thing and let us know what you thought. Thanks for listening. Seeing Sound has been powered by Save the Night, Jägermeister's global initiative aiming to preserve and reimagine nightlife culture 